0: Hey, what it do, world? Welcome to the Market Banter Podcast. It's the people's financial podcast. We do it for y'all. We do it for the people. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am Dion Roboen, financial journalist. I write the Axios Markets newsletter. With me, as always, my man, your man, the man, is Dan Enfield. What's going on, Dan?
1: What's going on, Dion? How are you, sir?
0: I'm doing well, man. Doing well. Dan is the people's champ. He's a working stiff. He's, uh, he's here to, to keep it 100 and to make sure that all of our guests and everybody that's on the show keeps it 100. They're not using a bunch of big, flowery language to just right. try to skirt around questions. They actually have to talk about what's really happening.
1: There you go. I, I like to think that I keep it 50 and you keep it 50. And together, you know, that makes 100.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it works. It's not that's how that how works. It's not how it works. No, this is not a sum of the parts kind of situation. Oh, yeah, but that's funny. I appreciate, I appreciate your attempt. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today, man. We had a fantastic guest um, on today, John Worth. He is the Executive Vice President and Head of Research and Investor Outreach at Nareet. Uh, he focuses on commercial real estate. Uh, I know, you know, we're supposed to just be talking about the stock market, meh, uh, because of the election, but. I think a much more important and much more consequential market right now is the market for commercial real estate hasn't collapsed, hasn't gone crazy. It's just kind of been sitting there. And for the sake of the economy, for the state of the economy, I think commercial real estate is really one of the biggest things that people should be watching and maybe they haven't been. So really excited we got John on we're also gonna play a little ballin' or bummin'. Oh, yeah, uh, bringing that one back. Um, I'm really excited too because the the guest he listened to our previous show. I, know, I was so touched he, by that. So, wow. <laughs> I know, right? He tuned in. That was really dope. Uh, and then we're also uh, we're gonna talk about this election that went down Tuesday night. Um, that's really where we're gonna take it from. Dan, where did you watch the election from?
1: You know, it's funny. As a, at like six o'clock, I was like. You know, actually, I voted at like nine in the morning. There was no line. I was pretty impressed. There was no line. Got got right yeah. in, got right out. And then- You in the BX? I, I was in the boogie down. That's right. And uh, <laughs> no line. It was very easy. And I'm so tired. I have such fatigue with all things political. And I said to myself, like, I really just want this to be over with. Whatever happens, happens. I have no control. I'm not that, maybe not as invested as you as I quote unquote should be. And then by like six o'clock, I was like kind of nervous, and I was kind of like on edge, and I was, I was <laughs> watching it almost like a sports game, and you know, because I think the last, you know, last year in twenty sixteen, we found out the same night, you know, who won, and I want right. to say in like twenty twelve, we did too. So like, I forgot in my because I'm an idiot that like, oh wait, it may not be decided last night. So right. so it's so the fact that we still like don't know, and now you see there's lawsuits and this and that, right, and, right. and it's just really it's- um. I'd it's like, exactly gosh. it's
0: exactly the supposed nightmare scenario that I've been hearing from all these Wall Street research analysts that was going to make the market sell off and that we were going to have, you know, like the market was going to drop and it was so scared of, of all this volatility. And, you know, we purchased all these volatility uh, options, insurance, implied vol options and blah, blah, blah. And then we get this completely uncertain, unknown outcome and the markets sky higher. On Wednesday, I think the Nasdaq was up like four percent. Crazy. Um, maybe closed up like three point seven percent, something like that. But I mean, just absolute the absolutely the opposite. And people like to attack pollsters for getting it wrong. I personally would like to attack some of these Wall Street analysts who continue to get it wrong about what's going to happen to the market reaction. And I think this is, I really like, I keep getting up on this soapbox. and I'm going to continue to get on it. Nothing actually matters to the market except for the Fed. And Fed policy is going to be the same. And people were just waiting to buy more until after the election. And then the election happened and everyone was like, oh, is the Fed still uh, juicing the market full of cash? Then yes, I'll have some.
1: Right. And I think
0: that's where we are.
1: That's where we are. That's it. That's all that I think that's better. where we are. Yes.
0: It yeah. really like, like I was talking to my man Tom Essay uh this morning. He writes the uh Sevens report, which you know, after you finish reading the Axios Markets newsletter every morning, you should uh really subscribe to Tom's newsletter. But Tom was saying, he described the reaction as confounding, right? But basically what he his thought was was things didn't go as horribly as they could have. We could have been, you know, out to December, or January, even though Trump has said that they've won and that they, you know, even though the states don't necessarily line up with that, it's looking more like a Biden win. It's unlikely this thing is going to get dragged out. And the market was sort of having a punch drunk reaction to that good news that, like, we won't be completely uncertain of the outcome for months. Right. Also, the prospect of no more trade war, maybe, and maybe not diplomacy by tweet has the market kind of excited. But again, like we didn't get the blue wave that we were supposed to get, which was the whole reason that investors were supposed to be excited about Biden was because of this blue wave. And now we don't get the blue wave, which means no massive stimulus and probably less stimulus than we would have gotten under President Trump and the Republican Senate. And yet, here we are. So again, I wanna say this, nothing matters except the Fed. Right. And the Fed is still juicing the market. And that's going to continue, and so BTFD, buy the effing dip.
1: Buy the effing See,
0: di- dip. That's yeah,
1: buy right. the dip. When the when
0: dip. stocks go down, that's a dip, and you buy it, and then you get rich. That's there been Wall Street's prevailing uh, theory over the past what twelve years, eleven years. It's that simple. It's that simple. Buy the dip. <laughs> don't yeah. make it complicated.
1: Yeah. yeah, it is really nuts. Like you really don't. Yeah, it's like you want to be able to like read like, oh, this will wreck the markets, and then like the opposite happens. It's kind, right, of, like, the exact it's kind of like the financial equivalent of like these like weather men from back in the day that would like predict until <laughs> yeah. that like never happened. And it's like, okay, I think it doesn't happen as much. I think they're, they've gotten pretty accurate with that. I feel like with the weather, you know?
0: Yeah. I think cause they're all reading from the same forecast. So when one's wrong, they're all wrong. Like no one's really, I don't think there's a lot of weather guys doing their own barometric analysis anymore. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's kind of the deal. Yeah. Uh, but that, that, I think, gets us into, and we talked a little bit about this with John, but let's get into our interview uh, with John here. Uh, John Wirth, EVP, Head of Research and Investor Outreach at Narit, talking to us about commercial real estate. Here he is right now.
2: I think one of the reasons we haven't seen as much distress in commercial real estate is due to some public policy. So uh, if if you sort of think back to the, the financial crisis, you know, there there we had a housing crisis that basically, uh, you know, bled over into a liquidity crisis that that impacted the the real economy. So here we've got a crisis where we've got the real economy uh, significant, you know, un, having a very significant slowdown due to COVID nineteen, social right. distancing, and and health concerns. Exactly. And the concern back in March and early April. Was is this going to bleed over and become a financial crisis? Are we going to have liquidity crises and And I think part of what happened is you know the Fed stepped in with some very aggressive actions and that that kept banks' lending that kept financial markets open and so for in the case of REITs, for example, here they 've been able to go out and issue debt and in, actually in some cases uh, where they 're doing well, even issue equity. And that has kept them from having sort of the liquidity crisis that would send the whole industry into a tailspin. But as you point out, in some sectors, there are real real operating difficulties.
0: No, and there are. And obviously, everyone went to the markets. We've had, I think it's over $2 trillion of debt uh, issued by companies already. So certainly not a liquidity crisis, but I would just think as you've got – you know, movie theaters unable to operate, basically everyone in the leisure travel business unable to operate, hotels uh, operating at half capacity at best, that you would see a lot of defaults as we push into months seven and eight of this coronavirus crisis. Um, you know, obviously the markets have been opened by the Fed and really, you know, the Fed really kicked down the door and waved the four forward everybody. But that I wouldn't have thought back in May and June when we were seeing these warnings that that would be enough to provide the level of smoothness and solvency that we've seen from the commercial real estate um, uh, sector overall
2: at this point. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities go into to default. We've certainly seen seen some some issues with uh slow pay and no pay on on some of that that debt one of the things that I think is very different and again a place to draw a contrast from the financial crisis you know in in REITs you know which which account for between fifteen and twenty percent of commercial real estate in the US and have a market cap combined market cap of over a trillion dollars yeah. so and John some- if you
0: would just back back up a little yeah. bit and talk about what REITs are for yeah, some yeah. of our yeah. listeners who don't REITs, know yeah.
2: No, no, happy to. So, uh, so, so REITs are real estate investment trusts, uh, and so, you know, what REITs are effectively, they're publicly traded companies that own and operate commercial real estate. So you can buy and sell shares in REITs just like any other stock. So, for example, if you think malls are undervalued today, you can go buy stock in a mall REIT that has its portfolio comprised of virtually all malls.
0: Really on the other, malls
2: <laughs> on, on the other hand if you don't like malls you could go buy data centers uh, or you could go buy cell phone towers or industrial and logistics facilities so for the for the investor I think it, it's a great opportunity to get exposure to commercial real estate in a very direct way uh, with very low costs and with the liquidity of stocks because you just buy and sell them like stocks and uh, there's ETFs there's mutual funds there's everything that that uh, individual and institutional investors have come to to use to invest in any other sector of the economy right. is available for commercial real estate
0: right and so as you look out at that that big wide range I mean obviously this is a very diverse landscape where are you seeing the most stress and the most um, worrisome numbers where you talked about some of those potential defaults and where do you see opportunities as we sit right now at the beginning of November?
2: I think the, the the most distress we're seeing in retail, and in particular, you know, in the mall sector of retail. Although, though we've seen some improvement over time, and then of course uh, in the hotel and and leisure sector. So, uh, just to give you a sense of of how the market is pricing these, uh, hotels are down about fifty percent for the year from the beginning of the year. Regional malls are down uh, roughly fifty percent from the beginning of the year. So, so those are the places where, you know, we saw either in the case of, of malls, we saw them having difficulty collecting rent early in the, early in the crisis, although rent payments have, have recovered quite a bit. And in the case of hotels, we saw hotels you know, were, were closed in April and May and June. Right. Now those hotels have reopened, but still of course, you know, both leisure and business travel is down significantly. So, so those are the sectors that I think, you know, offer either, either uh, you know, problems or opportunities, right? Because they, they've sold off quite significantly. And the, the question for, I think, investors is, are they oversold? Uh, are hotels going to come back? Is travel going to come back faster? Right. Yeah. Wait,
0: so that's that's the question for you, though, John. What's, what do you say?
2: Well, I, you know, I'm. Uh, this really comes down to a question of, and I think this is broadly across t- re- types of real estate, this comes down to, in a post-COVID world, how quickly do we go back to the life we had in a pre-COVID world? That is mm-hmm. sort of, you know, what of the changes we've implemented? And I'm talking to you from my house, not from my office, you know, and and all those things, right. and, and what, which of those changes are temporary versus permanent? And and I know you guys have have kept an eye on, you know, what's going on in Asia with respect to with respect to the number of cases and and. The way people are going on about their lives, really? And you I, really I, did listen to the yeah, so. <laughs> Well, it's because I, I thought that was great because that's something that, that I talk about a lot. Because my own take is that when we get past COVID, in, in whatever form that that takes, that I think people are going to go back to a very a lifestyle that's very similar to the pre-COVID lifestyle. So for me, that means you know being in the office, uh, traveling for work. Traveling for leisure, um, you know. So, so I, my take is that that we're going to go back to something that's really approximates pre-COVID life.
1: Man, I really uh, hope that's and, true, John.
2: And I see this in Europe too. When when Germans felt safe, they were uh, packing into the restaurants. They were, you know, when. And I, my sense is when people feel safe and secure, they will go back to a a, a very similar lifestyle to pre-COVID. But again. We don't know, and that's where the opportunities lie for investors. And I think, you know, to bring it back to REITs, one of the great things about REITs is because you could—they're liquid because you can buy and sell them uh, because they're stocks. Uh, it gives you the opportunity to sort of act on your convictions. Um, right. If you and I felt, you know, hotels were oversold, we can't go buy a hotel.
1: Right. But well, we could, yeah. you
2: know, I can't do that, but I can buy yeah. a hotel. Yeah, speak, stock. speak for yourself,
1: John. Yeah. What? <laughs> your I've, right. I've actually got my eye on a Motel
2: 6 in uh, Aurora. Yeah. I, I've stayed there. That is a very nice place. I yeah, try yeah. the yeah. breakfast. Yeah. yeah.
0: Very so, uh, so, John, so are you are you right now a buyer of some of these hotel REITs? Or where would you say, if, if someone's listening to our podcast right now and they're like, all right, I like what John's talking about in terms of us going back to the way we were? Um, What would you say? I mean, do you think that people should be out here buying these hotel REITs and, and properties like that because they are pretty cheap right now? Or should they be looking more towards those data centers and some of the other things that you mentioned?
2: You know, I so so I don't want to duck the question, but I think the 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 point is that's something that people need to to take a look at and try to understand for themselves. I personally, I, I'm sort of bullish on these these sectors that seem uh, like they're they're quite down again because I think we're going to go back to a pre-crisis lifestyle, mm-hmm. but. I, I, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't say that for sure, and of course, the timing is very uncertain right and, and I, I would say that's one of the reasons what, what we really suggest for investors is you know get exposure to commercial real estate. Often you know we, we see a lot of studies that suggest you know 15 percent of a portfolio is an appropriate amount to have in, 15? in commercial real estate. yeah
0: wow. Where does that come out of the 60 40? Because you know so, people say you should have a sixty percent stock, forty percent bond portfolio. So where are you taking that fifteen percent out for commercial real estate?
2: That's gonna that's gonna mostly come out of the equity side because REITs Ooh. are gonna REITs are gonna trade more like more like equities, um, and and we we've done a lot of studies over time that suggests that that that's a, a very reasonable place to be. And if you think about uh, sort of diversification, one one. Sort of hallmark of diversification is owning the market. And commercial real estate is actually about 17% of the uh, investable universe in the US. There's a lot of commercial real estate out there, but because most of it's not traded on the stock market, individual investors don't own it. But if you go look at what pension plans do, they have 10, 12% of of real estate in their portfolio.
0: So how does a an individual investor get access to because I assume it's just buying REITs that are like the ETFs, right?
1: You can you can buy. Yeah, uh, is the, it traded on the market, or where do you where do you where we're like let, let's say I want to go buy a REIT, where would I even go?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, fire up your brokerage account. Uh, you can you can buy REITs. You know, REITs trade on the New York Stock Exchange. They trade on Nasdaq. They're they're widely available. Uh, you can all, There of course there are there are passive ETFs and passive mutual funds that that own indexes, and then there are um, there are actively managed mutual funds. So you have a wide array, and in fact. On the Naree website, we actually have a, a a list of of hundreds of uh, mutual funds and ETFs that that specialize in in REITs.
0: An actual last question I'll ask you is: the housing market has just been absolutely on fire, uh, really since I would say May, maybe even April, um, with this with the restrictions on real estate buying being lifted. Does that translate? Uh, to this commercial real estate environment for people who are just seeing every month or every couple of weeks, really, the reports on uh, housing going up through the roof and home sales through the roof, should they be getting excited about maybe investing in REITs on the commercial side? Or are those two completely separate uh, ideas?
2: They're pretty separate ideas. Uh, when we look at uh, the returns to home ownership over time, what we see is that, uh, you know, that Commercial real estate sort of you know owning and operating uh, real estate that, that is is getting its revenues derived from rent tends to over the long term uh, really outperform the return to home ownership. Uh, people buy home homes for a lot of reasons, a little bit of forced savings, right. they, they want home and hearth and all that stuff. but the returns, you know unless you happen to be in a particularly hot market on average yeah. don't tend to be particularly high. So we view them as really two separate decisions. You know, you you buy a house if you if you want to have a house, but it's mostly a consumption good, right? Yeah.
0: Well, and what I mean by that, I guess, is that as the the prices have been going up, sales have been going up. Is that something people can view as a proxy for commercial real estate? As in, like, should they be getting excited because they're seeing all this action in the home mortgage market? That that means that they need to get into commercial real estate before you know it's too late.
2: Yeah, I would say they should view them pretty separately. Um, the way we look at the way we look at at uh, at at home ownership markets and, and housing markets is really a signal of the strength of the macro economy. And obviously, when the macro economy is doing well, that's good for tenants. That's good for landlords. So that's good for commercial real estate and REITs. And and that's how we that's how we look at it. There are occasionally, you know, you can get into cycles where home ownership and apartment and, and living in apartments ends up end up being uh, substitutes to a certain degree but right now we have such a shortage of housing in America that 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 doesn't seem likely to happen so I would view that I would tell your listeners you know look at uh, look at, at the housing trends you know as you're looking at other macro variables as a measure of strength and confidence and it is a you know it, it's yeah. good news that people feel confident and ready to go out and buy homes it doesn't necessarily translate directly to commercial real estate.
0: Gotcha. All right, John. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, man. That was a lot of knowledge you just dropped.
2: Hey, this was a lot of fun. Appreciate appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yeah, it was our interview with John Worth. Uh, John dropping knowledge. Really smart guy. Um, and like I said before, appreciate that he he tuned into the podcast and and really you know just kind of dropped some outside some knowledge not like oh yeah you guys are the market banner guys right like he actually clearly and that was like a deep cut from the podcast that he referenced
1: i, I liked know it. man i was like so touching yeah it's crazy yeah 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 um he, like, so anyway, names, that... like he knew our he knew our parents names <laughs> <laughs> you know he knew what our right, favorite now... drink is at the at the bar okay you know, okay you know,
0: all right
1: <laughs> all right dan <laughs> you know the uh, name of our first pet i mean that guy was really just uh, yeah what a gentleman yeah, it,
0: Anyway, I thought it was really great, uh, his analysis on the commercial real estate market because that's a thing that I wish I knew more about. I wish – because I guess like I've been saying, I wrote this um, earlier in the summer that the the mortgage-backed securities and the the mortgage market was kind of what crashed everything in 2008. And now on the commercial side where you've got tenants like hotels, tenants like movie theaters that – own a lot of this real estate really unable to do business it's like how does this commercial mortgage commercial mortgage-backed securities market and the commercial real estate market stand up and you know i i think that's still an open question but john definitely dropped some knowledge on us so that was great absolutely yeah you uh you ready to play a little balling or bummin dan Can't wait man i've been waiting for this all day we're gonna we're gonna tell the people who's ballin who's bumming. dan kick us off
1: i'm gonna say i'm gonna start with lumber You want to go first?
0: Lumber. Lumber, okay. Uh, I say that lumber is balling. And I say that because you're looking at commodities prices. Commodities prices have really picked up. They they seem to get a bump like everything else after this election, which another thing about this election, um, everything went up on Wednesday after the election. Like lumber was up 4.6% for some reason. Like as if as if Biden and the Republican Senate are really gonna like send lumber through the roof. Right. But for whatever <laughs> reason the market likes lumber and so
1: i'm gonna say lumber is balling right now lumber ball. So funny, yeah <laughs> biden biden ran on the the lumber ticket <laughs>
0: they yeah. think he's gonna remove the lumber tariffs on canada or something and that'll be good for lumber anyway dan what do you say i'm
1: i'm saying you know walking through manhattan right now the whole city's boarded up in anticipation of another riot so i'm going with lumber really ball really balling <laughs> maybe that's what it was. I don't know who's getting that business to put up that all that the wooden uh, covers, but they are doing really well. Yeah. All right. Is that real wood, though, that they use? Or is that polymer wood or something? I don't know. See, you got to look
0: into these things. Dan. You got to do your research before (laughs) you make your before you take a position on balling or
1: bumming. I've got to go, like, break off a piece and, like, take it to a lab and, like, (laughs) Like, what is it? Exactly. Exactly. mica, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so let's see. As for my first balling or bumming, I'm going with uh, Jeff Bezos. What do you think?
1: Um, that's a great. Uh, that's a great one. I I don't know if Jeff Bezos can ever be bumming. I think he's always <laughs> falling. I mean, the guy is just uh, yeah, it's crazy.
0: I you know what? That's a that's a strong point, and I agree. However, I'm going to say relatively. Compared to where, compared to how hard Jeff Bezos could have been balling, he is bumming, and that is contingent on things holding up the way they are moving in the presidential election vote counting. But under Donald Trump, I don't think you've ever had a more business-friendly um, administration, a more business-friendly overall setup. You talk about not just Trump, who loves big businesses. And when I say businesses, I'm only talking about the big ones, like the huge, giant, mm. big boys. They have really had the best of all possible worlds. You got Trump, who wants to slash regulations. He cut their taxes. He didn't. He basically cut the IRS into oblivion. So when they weren't paying any taxes, there was no one to call him on it. Right. On top of that, you've got Mitch McConnell, very pro-business. You've got the Supreme Court, which sided with um the uh what is the ah uh, the what is the name of the business group that represents all the big businesses? Oh uh OSHA, not OSHA. Uh no, no, no. The oh, um I know you're talking the Chamber of, that. of Commerce. Chamber That's, of it. That's yeah. it. Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. That's embarrassing. Uh you've got the Supreme Court, which sided with the Chamber of Commerce 80% of the time. That was even before they got uh Justice Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court, who is very much in that same uh, headspace. And you had, of course, the MVP of all businesses, Jerome J. Pizzi, a.k.a. J.P. Money Powell, mm. uh, as chairman of the Fed. But without Trump and potentially without Powell, who will likely be replaced when his term retires or expires in 2022 – I think Jeff Bezos is likely to be balling less, so Jeff Bezos
1: is bumming. Okay. There you go. Interesting. Relatively, Uh, of course. Yeah, relatively, right. Exactly. Um, I'm going to say next, Clorox.
0: Clorox. Clorox, I am going to say Clorox is balling. They have done really well um, in terms of, you know, they've been one of the big winners out of this uh, stay-at-home trade. Uh, they've been they've done very well in terms of just their products being bought and flying off the shelves. I will say Clorox stays balling.
1: I agree. And I just saw they did an Uber partnership now where Clorox is going to all the Uber cars are going to be Clorox clean. Clorox so, clean. Uh, yeah, there you go. I'm still not taking Uber, but <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. It sounds yeah, good. Yeah,
0: I don't I don't like Uber either. Uber got a big victory last night, whatever the proposition was in California. Yeah, I was shocked to, about that. I was too. It was overwhelming victory for uh not wanting to make drivers employees and rather keep them as independent contractors overriding a rule that California put in place a couple of years ago. Big win for Uber, big win for Lyft. Um which was, yeah, it was surprising to me, too. But I guess, you know, they, they spent a ton of money, just like Crazy, yeah. a a Catholic church amount of money on wow. that. that's uh, a great term. <laughs> let's move on, actually. I don't even want to continue what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> so let's see, ballin' or bummin', Jack Ma.
1: Ooh, Jack Ma. Well, yeah, I thought he was ballin', but based on the, the IPO getting messed up, it looks like he's bummin'. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, the Ant Group IPO. Here, Here's why Jack Ma is bumming. Dave Chappelle did a, sh- in a, a skit on Chappelle's show years ago called When Keeping It Real Goes Wrong. Ooh. And Jack Ma, a couple weeks ago, when this Ant IPO was going to come out, Ant Group, which is an arm of Alibaba, which is the company that Jack Ma founded, he was going to make billions and billions more off this Ant Group IPO. He's already just like one of the richest people in the world. And he came out... And he just kept it a little too real. He was like, look, uh, financial regulation in China is a joke. The regulators don't know what they're doing. Um, They need to actually get more sophisticated if we're going to start doing more of these things in China. All of those things are true, but they're not things that you say out loud. Like Jack Ma forgot who his daddy was. Mm. Like Jack Ma thought he was Elon Musk or somebody and he could just go out here and say whatever he wanted. And that's not how things work in China. In China, like Jack Ma, I read this a while back, was reportedly a former uh, Chinese
1: Communist Party official. Well, he was a tour guide. Well, I mean, he started like very poor, right? I mean, like a village. Yeah,
0: and came up. And I I think he has just kind of forgotten who actually runs things in China. And that's Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. And you fall in line or you get put out the line. And Jack Ma learned that. And now he's bumming. I think he'll be back to ball in at some point but he, when keeping it real went wrong for Jack Ma it went really wrong and now China might is is planning stories in the official state publications that Ant Group might just not have an IPO Ooh. That, Ooh. that they might tell all the banks to not do business with them wow. and China yeah China's and and the CCP are really flexing on him right now and things don't look like they're going to go well for Jack Ma who is bubbling
1: well there you go he also kind there of looks is. like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Probably, never, <laughs> probably doesn't help. Probably doesn't help him either.
0: <laughs> Let's just throw that in there. Let's just throw that in there. It's been a rough day for Jack Ma.
1: I'm sure and when he uh, lost the IPO, he I'm sure when he lost the IPL, he was like, "My precious, <laughs>
0: <laughs> unnecessary, unnecessary." I don't want to. I don't want to. I need to distance myself from uh, the joke.
1: Okay. That's funny. Uh,
0: all right, that's gonna do it for the show, man. Thank you so much for tuning in with us on Market Banter. Uh, from my man Dan Enfield, oh, yeah. the working man and the people's champ. I am Dion Bowen, financial journalist. Thanks for tuning into Market Banter. We hope you'll join us again next time.
2: Thank you.